Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, would you meet me in Genesis chapter 35? Genesis chapter 35, verse 1 through verse 15 is where we will be in God's Word together this morning. Uh, as Glenn mentioned, I'm Evan, one of the pastors here at Christ Central, and uh, really thankful for the opportunity to be uh, gathered together here and worshiping the Lord uh, this Sunday. Uh, especially if this is your first time with us, we have been in a sermon series entitled Revived by Grace, where we have been looking at the life of the patriarch, Jacob, in the book of Genesis. We've been considering together what uh, grace looks like for God's people uh, through the life of a man who uh, had a really hard time getting it right. Um, Because we believe that that grace is actually for those who who struggle uh, to get it right. This is actually our our last week uh, in this sermon series looking at the life of Jacob and next week we'll Uh, enter into the season of Lent, and there will be a sermon series there that we will turn our attention to. Uh, And I can think of no better way to prepare uh, for the Easter season than taking another look at God's grace for his people. So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand as we read Genesis chapter 35, verse 1 through 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel. Because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So we called his name Alon Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. 
Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you that when we open your word, you open your mouth and you speak to us. Lord, we need you more than we realize, more than we're often willing to admit, but Lord, you are near to us. You go with us wherever we go. And so in this moment, as I speak to the ear, Lord, would you speak to the heart and transform lives? Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Michelangelo is considered one of the greatest artists in history. Uh, The great Renaissance artist is known for breathtaking masterpieces such as the Statue of David and the Sistine Chapel. And what you may not know about Michelangelo is that he was often plagued by the pressures of the demands on his artwork. He would experience great pressure to produce, and that pressure was placed on him from the people around him and, frankly, on himself as well. And coupled with this pressure, he was plagued by questions of faith, tormented to know whether or not God truly accepted him. We see this reflected in much of his poetry. Uh, Some have argued that some of his artwork was a desperate attempt to earn God's love. But towards the end of his life, Michelangelo was captivated by Martin Luther's Reformation that was sweeping Europe. He was impacted by the notions of justification by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. As he reflected on this, he wrote a wonderful poem that's featured in a museum in Florence, Italy. He wrote a poem entitled, On the Brink of Death, wherein he wrote this. The course of my life has brought me now through a stormy sea and a frail ship to the common port where landing we count for every deed, wretched or holy, so that finally I see how wrong the fond illusion was that made art my idol and my king, leading me to want what harmed me. Let neither painting nor carving any longer calm my soul turn to that divine love who to embrace us opened his arms upon the cross. At the end of his life, Michelangelo was captivated by God's grace. And it drew him in to the one who to embrace him opened his arms on the cross drawing him in from a wayward life full of turmoil and distress. In our passage this morning, we we see Jacob, and he has gotten to the end of his life. As he approaches the end, he's pressured by the state of his life yet again. 
He is plagued by decisions he has made and the life he has lived. He's haunted by the afflictions of his children. Chapter 35 is actually full of heartache. By the end of this chapter, Jacob's father, Isaac, will die. In this chapter, his wife, Rachel, will die. Jacob's son will commit atrocities. And there's a word that has risen from the verses that we have read that give insight into the existential realities of Jacob's life. That word is distress. Jacob is in distress. He has wealth, he has family, he has servants, he's got a lot going for him, but he's in distress. Do you know what that's like? To have everything going for you, but at the same time, moment after moment of loss and struggle until you feel distressed. The first two words in chapter 35 may be the most pivotal words in the entire chapter. God said. And you might not appreciate these two words if you don't know what Jacob has been going through. God has not actually spoken to Jacob since chapter 32, when he wrestled with Jacob. And although that's only a few chapters for us, that makes up several years for Jacob. Jacob has not connected with God in years. And furthermore, when you read chapter 34, God is not even mentioned. Jacob's daughter is violated and assaulted, and Jacob's sons take vengeance into their own hands and massacre all the men in that city. God is nowhere in sight, it would seem. And this chapter ends with Jacob devastated, terrified of what will happen to them because of the reckless actions of his foolhardy sons. Jacob finds himself in a predicament that is actually somewhat familiar. He knows what it's like to take life into your own hands only to find out that you were foolish the entire time. He knows what it's like to go too far to get what you want to the point that your life is endangered. Do you remember? Do you remember the first time God spoke to Jacob? Chapter 28, in the stairway to heaven, when he was fleeing his enraged brother Esau. And here we are, come full circle. God speaks to Jacob again. And I know I got 15 verses to preach here, but these words are enough to preach already all by themselves. Because even in the times when we are most wayward and foolish, God still speaks. Even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we need not fear because God stays with us. He is faithful even when we are faithless. He speaks. That's his grace. God speaks to Jacob again and tells him, Arise, get up, and go to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. He's saying, Jacob... We've been through this before. Uh, We know what it's like to have no one and nothing that you can rely upon. You, You know what it's like to have nowhere you can turn but to the grace of God. Go back to that place. 
Go back to where your distress met my grace. Back in chapter 28, Jacob made a vow to the Lord that he would dwell in Bethel. That vow was made over 20 years ago. And Jacob stopped short. He left his uncle's home and stopped in Shechem. And he and his family have been living there for years. And God shows up and calls him back on track. Go back to the beginning. Go back to where you knew me and worshiped me afresh. And that's an important encouragement for us this morning. Some of us remember what it was like when we were on fire for God. We remember when he had our affections, our passion, our, our priority. And now life has suffocated all of that. You feel quenched, you feel dry, you feel distant in your relationship with God. Life has put distance between you and him and God is calling us to return home. He wants to call us back to the first things with him. How can we do that? We see three calls from this passage, a call for repentance, a call for renewal, and a call for remembrance. A call for repentance. Verse 2 through verse 4, we see how Jacob responds to God's grace. He repents. He repents by expelling foreign gods and idols from his life and his family's life. We see a wonderful picture here of repentance in these verses because what is common and comfortable both in ancient times and today was what I call worship by addition. It was very common to just add a God to your life, to add an idol to your life. You want to add the, the Hittites God, the, the, the Canaanites God? You can hedge your bets. Whatever works for you is fine. And we see many instances of people adding gods to their life, worship by addition. And then Yahweh comes and says, you will have no other gods before me. This God says, I want addition and subtraction. I, I want you to add me and subtract the asteroid. I want you to add me and subtract the idols. I, I want you to add me and subtract your comforts. Add me and subtract everything else that you bow to in order to live life to the fullest. That's mine now. It all belongs to me. And Jacob responds. He hears this call from God and he sees, in order to add God to my life, I need to subtract these foreign gods and these idols. Which we know, if you read Genesis 31, they have been in his life for years. Helping him for years, comforting him for years, helping him to live life for years. And God comes along and says, I want you to get rid of all of it. He needs to subtract his allegiance from them so that he can truly add God. What in your life do you think you need in addition to God? I, I, I want to add God, but I, but I also need to add a flush bank account, too. 
I, I want to add God, but I need to add a stellar job too. I, I want to add God, but I need to add my, my reputation, my comforts, my addictions too. What in your life do you feel more protective of than your own relationship with God? That if you really had to make a choice between this and God, you would at least hesitate. Because he might be calling you to subtract your allegiance there. Right there. That's what repentance means, to, to turn your allegiance away and towards. Away from sin, away from lesser things and towards God. There's a call for repentance in the text. Fabian Anderson is on staff here, and she leads uh, the women of Christ Central through uh, the book of Hebrews. There's a lot going on in the book of Hebrews. Um, and she's walking them through the different details of, of worship and the great specifics of how the tabernacle and the laws of what God wanted and called out. And uh, thankfully, I get to eavesdrop a little bit. I don't sneak into the means, but I eavesdrop on the teaching because it's incredible teaching on the book of Hebrews. And Fabian said this, she says, we don't have a relationship with God any old way. We don't get to have a relationship with him any old way. We, we don't get to map out a course for the sovereign God of the universe through crystal star alignments, uh, who we think he is, and just our own good intentions. We don't get to worship him on our own terms. We must worship him on his. We must follow his way. Where is your allegiance? Is it to God? Or is it to something else? Jacob hears this call from God and he knows instinctively, I got to let this stuff go if I'm really going to follow God. Secondly, there's a call for renewal. Jacob is wayward and dry in his relationship with God, but he still responds to the call. In verse 5 through verse 8, we see some seemingly disjointed events happen as Jacob and his people travel back to Bethel. First, verse 5, uh, terror falls upon the cities as Jacob and his caravan pass by. This is significant because, again, in, in chapter 34, uh, we see the sons of Jacob putting a target on Jacob's back because of their, their rampage against the Shechemites. Uh, and Jacob, he, he knew their, their community was small. It was insignificant. He, he was afraid. <laughs> they, they didn't have the manpower to defend themselves if the city's attacked. He's afraid. And the question is left open at the end of the chapter, in chapter 34, from his sons. What were we supposed to do? In the face of such injustice, in the face of such evil, what were we supposed to do? was done to our sister and to our family. And the issue isn't resolved going into chapter 35. And so we see in verse 5, God protecting them from these cities. As Exodus 14, 13 says, Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. The safest place to be is always in the will of God. Because power belongs to our God. I think I heard that somewhere. Power belongs 
to our God. We also see in these verses Deborah, Rebecca's nurse. She dies and she's being buried. And verse 8 might feel like a throwaway verse, almost like it doesn't fit in the story. And scholars debate what's going on here. And what seems most likely is that this verse was written to signal Jacob's mother, Rebecca, has been dead and has been dead for a while. The last time we see Jacob interact with Rebecca was chapter 27, when Rebecca sends Jacob away to protect him and tells him, I will send word to bring you back home once your brother's fury turns away. That never happens. We don't see anywhere that Jacob got to interact with his mother again, got to hear her voice again, got to feel her embrace again. We, we never get any sense that he got to say goodbye to his mother. He never got to embrace the parent who we know preferred him. He gets to bury her nurse. This verse is a grief-saturated verse. So sandwiched in between these two incidents, we see verse 6 and 7. Jacob returning to Bethel, building the altar to God and call, that he called him to, and he calls the place El Bethel. This isn't just Bethel, the house of God. This is El Bethel, the God of the house of God. So sandwiched in between paralyzing fear and debilitating grief, Jacob renews his relationship with God. He meets God in profound distress. And I love this because many of us assume that, that God is not with us in our fear and in our sorrow. We, we assume that to have God means that life is rosy and, and jubilant. But sometimes God meets us right in the loss. He meets us right in the out-of-control broken family. He meets us right in the devastating medical diagnosis. He meets us right in the turmoil and calls us to renewal. Come back to God. Come back to the one who is over the house of God. Because regardless of what happens in the house of God, regardless of how you may feel in the house of God, it will never overtake the God of the house of God. And that's good news because that means you can show up in the house of God with everything. The ups and the downs, the joys and the sorrows, the triumphs and the trials. And God wants you to give him all of that. I, I, I don't just want you after the mess is over. I want you in the mess. I want you in the heartache, in the pain. And I can take it because I'm the God over this house. So as the psalmist says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills to where my help comes. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And wherever we find ourselves in the highs and the lows, we come back to God. We come back to the God of our weary years and our silent tears. There's a call for renewal in the house. Thirdly and lastly, we see a call for remembrance. Remembrance. Verse 9 through verse 15 is so beautiful. I wish I had time to unpack all that's going on here. But uh, we see that God appeared to Jacob again and blessed him. 
And he tells him what should sound familiar to him and to us if you've been tracking through this sermon series. Uh, he, he doesn't tell him really anything new. Uh, God reminds him of essentially three things. Jacob, your name is changed to Israel. I am God Almighty, and I will give you a land and a people. And this is repeated over and over again in various ways in Genesis and beyond. Genesis 1, Genesis 12, Genesis 17, Genesis 28, Genesis 32. Over and over again, God has this refrain of his pro promise and his presence. Do you know what one of our greatest spiritual struggles is? Forgetfulness. If we could just remember who God is and who we are in light of who God is, we wouldn't have worship struggles. <laughs> but we forget. Uh, it, it reminds me of The Lion King. Yes, I like Disney movies. Don't judge me. It reminds me of, of The Lion King. The Lion King is one of my, my favorite Disney movies. But Lion King is deep. Like, from a therapy perspective, Simba's going through some complex trauma throughout this whole movie. Um, and, and there's a point in the movie where, where the ghost of Mufasa, Simba's father, appears to Simba after Simba has lived a life of waywardness in the aftermath of uh, brutally losing his father. And Mufasa appears to him, and the first thing he says is, you have forgotten me. And Simba basically re responds, I could never do that. He's probably thought about his dad every day since he lost him. But then Mufasa expounds and says, you have forgotten who you are and so have forgotten me. And he says, you are more than what you have become. And then, you know, Mufasa tells Simba to look inside himself, which is worlds apart from the call of the God of the Bible. Uh, God says to Jacob, you, you are more than what you have become. But don't look inside yourself for that. You need to look inside my promises. Look inside my word. Look to the God of your household. Look to God Almighty. I am the active agent in your life, and I have not changed Remember what I have told you. Stop living as though you are not a child of the king. Remember who you are by remembering who I am, what I have promised you. God is the same. That the same God that was with you in the last crisis is the same God that's with you in this crisis. The same God that was with you when you needed your bills paid is the same God that's with you in the doctor's office. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. But do you remember that? Or have you forgotten him in your struggles and distress? And that's why I like Alistair Begg's quote about, about preaching. He says, in preaching, the pastor's job is not so much to inform you of things you don't know, but to remind you of things you should never forget. Remember the God whom you have believed. He has not changed. He has not changed who he is, and he has not changed how he feels about you or what he wants to do in your life. Amen, somebody. 
He remains faithful. And we come to this church Sunday after Sunday and come back to this book moment after moment. And we, and we come into the Easter season over and over again because we know we are forgetful. And we need God's grace to remember the God whom we have believed. Because in Christ, we are more than what we have become. God's call to Jacob is the call he gives to us. Repentance, renewal, and remembrance. And maybe you're here and you've never done any of these. You've never actually experienced these things for the first time. Repentance, renewal, and remembrance. This might be new for you to, to imagine addition by subtraction, to imagine coming back to something that's never actually been new, to remember something you've actually, never actually known. And you're here this morning, and I want you to know God sees you too. And God wants you too. And much like Jacob, maybe God wants to use what is distressing in your life to show you that nothing in this life can satisfy like God can. I wish I had a witness there. I said, I wish I had a witness there. As the old song says, can't nobody do me like Jesus. Can't nobody do me like the Lord. In the mid-1800s, Joseph Scriven uh, moved to Canada from England. He had a life full of tragedy and struggle. He left his mother who was terminally ill and she was constantly feeling the sorrow and the pain and constantly uh, reaching out to her son for comfort. And he would often communicate with her and connect with her. And uh, one day he decided to write her a poem turned song. There's different versions of this song, but uh, this church is familiar with it well. It's what a friend we have in Jesus. He wrote this in response to suffering, to distress, to illness. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. As a son of the black church, I've heard this song so many times, and I can think of so many instances where mothers of this church would burst into song and sing this, this beautiful hymn. My favorite verse was always the second verse. It says, have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged taking it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who with all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. No matter where we are, no matter where we find ourselves, the beauty of God's grace is that we are never so far that it cannot reach us and draw us back in. That's the life of Jacob. No matter where he found himself, God's grace always extended further than his wanderings. And that's the same grace he offers to us to return, to embrace the one who to embrace us opened his arms on the cross. So let us receive this divine love this day and always. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? Have
have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Taking it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who with all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And so, Lord, help us to bring everything to you and back to you over and over. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.